Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, the book that I read this summer called uh, God Loves Nobodies is really going to be the idea generator for the next three weeks of our sermon series. And today, as we use Peter's words to see who God has made us, that desire that we have to be somebody is filled by the grace of our God. All right, I, I took a chance today, but I, I, think, I think it's safe. I'm pretty sure everybody still knows who the guy on the right-hand side of the screen is, right? Charlie Brown. Yeah, do you know Charlie Brown a little bit? If there's ever a person who thought he was a nobody, it's Charlie Brown, isn't it? Do you remember his two-word phrase that he repeats over and over? Good grief, right? Charlie says good grief all the time. Do you remember that he's constantly upstaged by his dog, Snoopy? lectured occasionally by his friend Linus. He can't ever seem to get things right when it comes to the little red-haired girl that he wanted to be his girlfriend. And of course, Lucy mocks him endlessly. You probably remember this scene of Lucy pretending she was going to let Charlie kick the football only to pull it away from him and Charlie Brown lands on his back, right? Do you know that the creator, Charles Schultz, actually patterned Charlie Brown a little bit after his own experiences? And maybe you'd think a person that that was such a nobody wouldn't resonate with people so much as Charlie Brown did. Until we realize that part of the reason a story like Charlie Brown resonates is because we often feel the exact same way. That maybe life isn't turning out quite the way we want it to, that that things aren't going according to our plan, that we must be nobodies. Just think of how much in our world people want to be somebody, want to be accepted. I I think about college students, and none of these things are wrong, but, but but what you have an opportunity to be a part of, to be accepted. First of all, you can be accepted simply by the school that you go to. You can be an Edgewood Eagle, or you can be a Madison Area College Wolfpack member, or a Badger here at UW-Madison, right? And then it's the schools that you're a part of. You can be a part of the engineering, school of engineering, or the business school, or SOHI, or whatever it is that that you're a part of. It gives you some identity. It gives you something to hang on to. And then there's clubs and all kinds of other things that you can join to be accepted. I think about our world and how acceptance has become something that as long as you agree with the opinion of the minority, or the majority, I mean, then you're accepted. But, but another opinion is often dismissed. I think about a world in which we live that it seems like about half the world is members of the Taylor Swift fan club. But isn't that what we want? We want to be accepted, whether it's by winning the chili cook-off or being first in our class or getting the lead in a play or being a great athlete or the hardest worker at our job. We want someone to notice us, someone to say that we matter. But I want you to think about all of those things that I just listed. And while they might be nice for a while, if I win the chili cook-off, who's going to remember a year from now? And any of those other things, don't we know full well they aren't going to last? That they aren't going to give us long-term acceptance? That they aren't going to matter in the long run? We need something to hold on to. 
And that's what Peter gives us today. It's through Jesus that we are somebody. And so today, as we take a look at these words from Peter, we want to be somebody, and we'll see that, first of all, it's Jesus who gives us our identity. And then we'll see that Jesus gives us our purpose as well. Peter says so clearly that you are somebody to God through Jesus. Listen again to verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There's a lot to unpack in that verse, but before we do, I want to set the stage just a little bit. Peter's writing to Christians throughout the Roman Empire who have fallen under some suffering, some persecution in the Roman Empire. And here's one thing Peter knows. Suffering Christians often become doubting Christians. They doubt the love of God when the pains and the sorrows and the heartache of this world come to visit. And we can relate, can't we? Have you noticed that in your life? That at times when you feel pressure, at times when you feel sadness, when at times you feel alone, you kind of wonder where God is? Does he know what he's doing? Does he really love us? One of the things that Satan loves to do to you and me is create doubt in our minds. To create doubt that God even knows we exist and that he even cares about you and me. That's why Peter's words are so beautiful. To back up a little bit in the text, Peter first establishes for us that we have a firm foundation. Depending on which translation you use, Peter identifies Jesus as a living stone and then later on, the cornerstone or the capstone. It's Jesus who is the foundation for our life and for our faith. It's Jesus who came to this life to make a difference for you and me by living in our place, by dying on the cross and by rising again. And then Peter carries that, that stone metaphor forward a little bit further as he calls you and me living stones that are being built into a spiritual house. We're part of something bigger than just each of us. And it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to remember that. It's so easy to forget about God's love when, when the troubles of life come calling. They seem to have a way to, to threaten us from losing the idea of God's love. But God fills his word with reminders for you and for me of how special we are in his eyes, how much he thinks of us because of what Jesus has done. And the very first word that Peter uses in verse 9 is that you are chosen. Hold on to that thought for just a minute. One last thing I want to talk to you about. I want you to think a little bit about who wrote these words. The Apostle Peter. If anybody knew what it was like to be somebody and then feel like a nobody, couldn't it, couldn't it be anybody more than Peter? Think about some of the things that Peter got to witness in his life as a disciple that made him think he was somebody. It was Peter, along with the other two disciples who were kind of in Jesus' inner three, that saw the raising of Jairus' daughter. It was Peter and James and John who went up the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and saw him in all of his glory together with Moses and Elijah. Do you think Peter felt like he was somebody on that day? He even said, Jesus, it's good for us to be here. And then it was Peter who got out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. Yes, he was somebody, at least for a short time that day. 
But didn't Peter know the other side too? He knew what it was like to be a nobody. In that very same event of walking on the water, it's Peter who feels the wind and and sees the waves and begins to sink because the doubts crept into his heart and mind. It's Peter who said, Never, I will never abandon you and betray you, even if everybody else did, who couldn't handle the questions of a servant girl around the fire at Jesus' trial, accusing him of being one of the followers of Jesus, denying Jesus three times. Peter felt like a nobody when he went outside and wept bitterly. This is the Peter who writes words that must have first been a comfort to him. I'm chosen. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a people belonging to God. And then he passes those words along to us so that we realize it's in Jesus that we are somebody. Let's just walk through those statements. What a beautiful set of descriptions for us Peter gives. We're chosen. Think about that. You are somebody to God. Somebody so special that he was willing to send Jesus to take your place and then pick you as his own to be a member of his kingdom forever. Then I want to split the next two up because they both have beautiful pictures. You're a royal priesthood. Let's start with the word royal. We're sons and daughters of the king. That makes us princes and princesses in the kingdom of God, people who God has given great gifts and responsibilities to. And then the word priesthood. In the Old Testament, you might remember that it was the priests who had the responsibility of representing God before the people. They had access to God that the average citizen did not. But not anymore. Peter can call you and me part of that priesthood because through Jesus, we can have direct, we have direct access to God through Jesus himself. Peter calls us a holy nation. That word holy carries with it the idea of being set apart by God. But then we think of it to mean also that we are sinless, that we have the righteousness that God requires of us because it's been given to us by Jesus. And that makes us a part of something that's bigger than us. We're part of this great army, a vast army of believers through all of the ages. And then finally, he says, we are God's special possession. Isn't that an amazing phrase? God loves you. God cares about you. I'm going to go so far as to say this is a beautiful word. God cherishes you so much that his own son took your place. That's why God considers you something special, something to whom he, someone to whom he has an obligation because he called you out of darkness the darkness of sin and unbelief, called you by the gospel. For many of us, it was a little water applied to our foreheads in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For others of you, you heard the message and God brought faith to your hearts through that message, that gospel, that the light of the gospel that opened our eyes to see the blessings that Jesus has in store for us. That's the light to which you have been called. That's your identity, God's special possession. All right, this really worked well in the first service. I couldn't believe it. Probably almost half the people. So any kind of band, who has played in any kind of band at some point in their lives? Raise your hand if you've played in a band. Wow, it's a lot of people. Once upon a time in college, I played in a band. 
The band was called the Chia Pet Junkies. I was the drummer. I was soon replaced, and I was kind of hoping it was going to be like a Beatles moment where Pete Best was replaced by Ringo Starr, but it didn't turn out that way. But don't you think that every band, that every band believes at some point that maybe they can make it big? If we just have the right song, played at the right time, gotten to the right people, someone's going to notice us and, and we're going to be famous. So I want you to imagine with me that you and your band have been given a gig. It's not in the greatest time slot, about 10 o'clock at night, and not in the greatest venue. It's kind of a small little hole-in-the-wall bar, but you're excited because you're getting a chance to play in front of people. They're going to charge a, a, a small fee, a cover charge, to get into your concert. And then you find out just a few hours before you're supposed to go on, only a handful of people have paid the cover charge. Well, you're going to play anyway, just in case. And so you, you head out onto the stage and you're greeted by 40 people who are screaming your name, singing all of the songs that you're playing that night. You can't believe it. You feel like a rock star. That's exactly what happened to a small band from, from Vermont called Ghosts of Pasha a few years ago. An improv group decided that they wanted to give an unknown band the rock star treatment. So they learned all the songs, they learned the band members' names, they wore t-shirts that had Ghosts of Pasha on them, and they went to this concert and sang at the top of their lungs. For just that one night, that band felt like they'd made it like they were somebody, that they were rock stars. Maybe we think about things like that and say, yeah, that would be great. Wouldn't it just, just to be known and appreciated and, and just to be accepted? But that's nothing. That 15 minutes or whatever it was of fame that the ghosts of Pasha experienced is nothing compared to what you have because you have God's own word that you're his, that you're his special possession and not for just a short time, but for eternity. That's why Peter could write this. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter demonstrates so clearly why this is such an amazing thing. Because there was a time when we were not somebody. Once you were not a people, he says. And that's what sin does. It separates us from God. But now, Peter says... Through Jesus, now you are the people of God. Now you are God's people. Now you are something special. I heard a pastor say this not too long ago, and it really stuck with me. He said, let's fast forward to the end of our lives and imagine the worst case scenario that could be true of you or me or anybody in this world. The worst case scenario, all the loneliness, all of the heartache, all of the frustration, all of the pain, all the suffering you can imagine, worst case scenario, and you're left with only God. Not too bad, huh? If we're left with only God, we still win. We still have all of the promises that God has given us, and then God goes one step further. He gives us the blessings that we get to enjoy in this life. He gives us his good things as we live our lives in this world and we still get the best thing of all, a life with him forever in heaven. That's the freedom you and I have. That's the freedom that Jesus gives. We don't have to be perfect because Jesus was already perfect in our place. We don't have the pressure of living up to God's holy standards because it's already been done. 
And now we know through what Jesus has done that we get to honor God with our lives. We get to live lives that that bring glory and honor to him. Or as Peter said, we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus gives us a chance to live, to live as the redeemed people that we are, to live as his children, to live as his special possession, to live to represent God to the world. So here's my challenge for you this week. At least once every day, so at least seven times this week, I would love for you to make somebody's day. Maybe just by saying something nice to them, complimenting them, doing something for them, whatever it is that you think of. I want you to see what it's like if you do that, if you put a smile on somebody's face this week because of the joy that you have in Jesus. My guess is you're going to enjoy it. And maybe it will lead you to do it more often than just once a day or seven times a week because that's the joy that Jesus gives us, to to give to others the same thing that Christ has given us first. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, you are not a nobody to God. Think of how John wrote it in 1 John chapter 3, that we are God's dear children. He's lavished his love on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Number two, through Jesus, we are God's special possession who declare his praises. Same epistle, John said it this way, we love because he first loved us. It's the love of God in in us and flowing through us that leads to our love for others. And finally, number three, we are chosen, set apart, and loved by the Savior who knows each of us by name. Did you hear that verse when we read it before in Isaiah 43? I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. What beautiful words. God knows your name. Can, can we just pause for a moment just to contemplate how amazing that is? That in the billions of people who live in this world right now, who've lived in this world Throughout its existence, God knows you by name. He he knows me by name. He knows everything about you. He knows exactly where you are in your life. He knows exactly what you need. How do you know? How do you know that God loves you in that way? Don't we see it in the cross of Jesus? Where Jesus stretched out his arms, was willing to sacrifice himself so that you have forgiveness of sins and a life with him forever in heaven? That's how you're somebody to God. You are God's special possession. Can it get any better than that? Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.